Fictional characters often have unique relationships with their places of origin. For some, their homes are destroyed. For others, their homes have been transformed. Or perhaps, they refuse their places of origin, never intending to return. Hello from elsewhere. I'm Casey. And I'm Valerie. Now, some of you may remember a couple episodes ago, we mentioned a certain haunted balloon in our house. I have to tell you what happened. We have a playroom, and at night it's dark, and I don't turn on the light because our house is weird, and there's this like secret side door behind a bookshelf that the light will be let into where our baby sleeps. <laughs> and so I don't turn on the light. But I go in there to you know check the locks and stuff at night to make sure everything's copacetic. And uh, I turn on the flashlight on my phone, and just so I could see a little bit, and I'm walking around, and I go to unplug. We have this space heater, and I unplug it, and there, shining in the light of my flashlight, behind the couch is the Mylar balloon, sitting in wait, just peeking out behind the couch like, hey, I'm over here. Still there. I thought I didn't, I'm still I'd here. forgotten about it. <laughs> it knew that I had forgotten about him. Because her. it's I'd... been a month and a half since our son's birthday, yeah. so... It's finally out of air, so it was like on the ground behind the couch. Still shiny though. But uh, it knew that I'd it had lulled me into a sense of complacency. You and hadn't seen it for a few I weeks. Hadn't seen it for a little bit, and uh, there it was, See, extra creepy in the full beam of my flashlight. But now that we've thrown it away, this is the real question: Will, Will it, it return? come back? <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, it's on us. We never threw it away before. But yeah. now that we have thrown it away, will it come back? That's that's the big question, but not the all-important question. I have a different all-important what question What is the all-important question? If you could live in any fictional home, what would it be? Oh, man. I think I'm going to have to go with the Cuthbert's home from Anne of Green Gables. What's so special about the Cuthbert home? Describe the, it to me. I was going to say, the actual home itself is not that grand, just a two-story, mm. modest farmhouse, but it's cozy. And uh, obviously, I'd prefer to have the most modern appliances <laughs> in this <laughs> in this cozy little farmhouse. Mm. Mostly, it's because I want to live on Prince Edward Isle because it's apparently very, very, very beautiful. Mm. What about the Cuthberts? As like, would they be there in this scenario? Are they part uh, of the atmosphere of the home, so to speak? It's a good question. Well, their home has a lot of family history, which I like. Mm -hmm. You know, they've lived there for few generations at least i'd be okay i think marilla and i would get along i'm trying to remember they start off a little bit uh cold and gruff toward her right yes and then they all kind of warm up warm up to each marilla, other from both sides yeah. yeah marilla especially she's more more strict but she definitely warms up she becomes tender-hearted toward Anne. marilla's husband dies right oh, it's her brother their brother oh, and sister okay I didn't yeah remember no, no that. neither of them ever got married so they're okay. brother and sister I've watched the, the old 90s. Was it from the 90s? Probably. 80s, um, miniseries, mm -hmm. I guess you'd call it. Yeah, I I've like seen those. that, but it's been a little while. Yeah, I like them too. They're great, but it's just been a little while, so I didn't remember. I always wanted to name a, a son Gilbert. Gilbert Blythe. Gilbert Blythe. Doesn't he fall <laughs> off a roof or something? Or fence. Roof? He falls off a roof, right? I don't think so. Been a little while since I've read them. I thought she I like don't. shouts at him or something when he's up on the roof and he falls down. Am I making all this up? <laughs> I don't know what you're remembering. I'm going to look it up. I I don't remember. He jumps into the river to save her when her canoe starts or her little boat starts sinking. 
He he gets really sick at one point. If anyone's on a roof, it's Anne. She's the one who... Maybe she's on a roof at some point. Maybe. Anyways, I couldn't find anything, so I'm probably misremembering something. Or maybe, yeah, it was her on a roof. I think you're thinking of Pollyanna. She climbs out on a tree and then falls. And... Oh, man, now I'm scarred. I don't know. That movie scarred me, and I don't know why it Because Pollyanna is so sad. She's the happiest child, and then she gets terribly injured by falling from the roof. It's Haley Mills, the... right? Yeah, it is Haley okay. Mills. The actress Haley Mills plays. That was the only Pollyanna. thing I'd seen in her in for a very long time because I hadn't see seen Parent Trap. I hadn't seen the old Parent Trap oh. for a long time. Um, so in my mind, Haley Mills is Pollyanna, and for some reason, that movie just—it's not a pleasant movie. Because it has kind of a tragic ending. I mean, she lives, but she's severely injured and they're not sure if she'll ever walk again and that's where the story ends all i remember is like broken legs and some sort of prism yes that's all i remember about that and is there a carnival too they have like a festival i don't know if they call it a carnival festival a church party type thing three things i remember is some sort of that's another one that's been a long time since i've read broken legs and a prism because i was i think that's what and her game of always trying to think of what's happy she's always trying to find a happy thing Happy thought. See, when I play that game, I don't think of Pollyanna. I'll just say that. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Pollyanna and Anne of Green Gables are kind of similar characters. Hmm. They both become orphans early on and are taken in by people who are very cold and tend to warm up to them. Mm-hmm. Anne of Green Gables lives a long, happy life. but She does go to war. She doesn't go to war. Some of her sons do. I thought she was like a nurse in the war. Or is that only in the... That's just series. in the movie. They change stuff in yeah. the series. No, if you've read all nine books, I think there's nine. <laughs> there's nine or ten. The middle ones get pretty boring because I don't know, she and Gilbert are already together, and they're just like starting out their young fin with young kids. But then when her kids get older, in the last few books, those are better. And, and two of her sons go off to war. World War One, I, I believe. All right. So the the Cuthbert home. That's your choice. Yes, on Prince Edward Isle, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Location is very key. Right, right. I'm not one for, I was thinking about it, you know, there's all these interesting places you can live or all these really grand castles, but I prefer a cozy little home. My needs are simple. You don't want to live in Wayne Manor? I really don't. It just seems so cold. The West Wing. You don't even know who's living in the West Wing. You haven't been over there for years. Oh, there's probably bats over there. <laughs> probably. What would be your dream home I in feel, the fictional world? I feel bad mentioning it because I won't say much about it because... We're going to talk about it more, but uh, Bag End in Hobbiton in the Shire. Oh, yes. That's, that's See, the dream home See, we me. have similar desires here. A cozy yeah. little house and a very green environment. They are very similar. The only difference is mine is in a hill and it's like one level versus yours is a couple levels. I don't levels. think you'd fit in a hobbit hole, sir. You're kind of tall. Well, in the scenario... Gandalf has to duck and so would you. Okay, but crap, I didn't think about that. Yeah, in you're this scenario, ducking for forever. Either I am a hobbit or the house is my size for a six foot three human. So you need a very tall hobbit hole. Yeah. A human hole. It doesn't sound That's as good. That's gross. Don't say that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't even think about that. Do I have to pick a new one because I'm not a hobbit? No, I'm still going to go with that one. No, I picked the Cuthbert's home, but with modern appliances. Oh, so you're so. adding some sort of addendum to this. Yeah. Okay, then yes, mine is a hobbit hole, but somehow it uh, fits me well. Is it like Mary Poppins' bag? Ooh, yes, or the tent in the Goblet of Fire. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Once you go inside, it's much larger. Yep, magic. So today we're talking about homes, the literal and, and figurative homes of our main characters and side characters. Uh, we're specifically going to be discussing characters whose homes are destroyed, 
altered or refused. I will start with homes destroyed. Well, since we were talking about hobbit holes, you could definitely think of Frodo when he returns to the Shire with Sam and Merry and Pippin. The Shire in the books is completely destroyed. Right, yeah, it's, we have the scouring of the Shire, yeah. which is not in the movie. No, because it's so sad. When, and I think that breaks my heart more than anything else in the whole story. That it wasn't story. in the movie? Oh, that, no, just that, that, it that it happens to the Shire. I love that in the movies the Shire is untouched. One little innocent place in the world. Yeah, I think it works in the movie, especially because that's not really what the narrative was about and... Movies and books are different monsters, but... Uh, so in continue. the scouring of the Shire, I remember feeling like it's all burnt and it's under the control of... Sharky, who is Sharky. actually just Sar- Saruman. And they even return um, to Frodo's doorstep, and that's where Saruman and Wormtongue are. Saruman's basically brought his industrialism to the Shire, and and everything, all the trees and everything have been, have been scoured, and um, the mill and such... And, um, and all the hobbits are kind of forced into slavery, right? They're serving. A lot of them are, yeah. And they, the main hobbits lead a, re- a rebellion to overtake Saruman. I do love that, that Merry and Pippin get to come back and kind of save mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. They lead the rebellion. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And um, so then eventually Wormtongue kills Saruman because Saruman says something mean about Wormtongue. And Wormtongue stabs him and then um, some hobbits shoot worm tongue with arrows so they both die and it's kind of sad and and saruman like disappears in the dust and it's just a skeleton left behind so it gets pretty dark there on frodo's doorstep and the shire the shire is essentially destroyed they if i remember right it's galadriel that has to plant some magical seeds that bring the trees back or back or something like that so interesting although it's destroyed it's not destroyed permanently the shire does eventually regrow return return to fruition yeah, I, I like the scouring of the Shire in the sense that it shows that war affects everything and everywhere. And like you said, it's nice in the movies to have a place that's untouched. But it's also, I think, good to see the message that war is really bad and it really affects everything. And even the nice and beautiful green places uh, get destroyed. And there's that line in, in the Two Towers movie, and I can't remember if it's a line in the book, but Pippin's saying, oh, we should just go back to the Shire and... And Mary, who's a little bit uh, more world-wise, tells Pippin, there's not going to be a home. There's not going to be a Shire, Pip. Right. Yeah, when they're with the Ents, he's telling them there, there won't be a home yeah. to go back to if, because the war spreads and it touches everything. It is interesting that Frodo and Sam get to save the whole Middle Earth, hmm. but Mary and Pippin get to save the Shire. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so they each have their own major part in saving their home it's because they drank the end draft and so they're all tall, tall. for hobbits <laughs> they're tall and so people will follow them exactly do they fit in their hobbit holes i think that did they have to heighten their doors does the end draft last or does it uh wear off over time i think in the movies it wears off i don't remember that um, i think they're permanently taller mm. especially since when they go back to the shire they're still taller and that would have been months later because the whole of lord of the rings man do you know the timeline on that most books i feel like or just across a short amount of time. But The Lord of the Rings is like years, right? I don't remember. Well, it depends. Because the movie has the weird thing where Gandalf leaves for Months. 17 years or yeah, something it like is. that. Yeah, that's right. It's years. Um, when he's researching the ring. So the books and movies timelines are very different. But the journey, I think, is the same timeline-wise. Because Frodo says that it's been a year since Weathertop. Uh, it took about six months. 
So I didn't know that. Frodo and Bilbo had the same birthday, and Frodo left the day after their birthday. So that's messed up. They're having this huge party for Bilbo, and nobody even wishes Frodo a happy birthday <laughs> just because he's not 111. It's pretty old, even for a hobbit. Yeah. It's an extra I mean, special it's, birthday. It's great, but... Maybe Did any of those Frodo. fireworks say, like, this one's just for Frodo on them or something? Or does he have his own cake? He has his own party the next day or something. Didn't have his own party the next day. Everyone's freaking out about an invisible hobbit. <laughs> That's true. Maybe his is the day before and we just didn't see it. Mm. What I think is interesting about the heroes that we're going to talk about in this episode is their connection to the creators. So uh, if you know anything about, about Tolkien, he grew up right next to a mill called Sarahole Mill basically saw what was the Shire scoured in the name of industrialism in a way and and it it's clear that that was influential in Frodo's story and symbolic for him in a way there's a paragraph from a book I want to read it's uh, called J.R.R. Tolkien author of the century by Tom Shippey and uh, it says in the scouring of the Shire one can be sure that there is a good deal of Tolkien's own early experience and personal feelings especially over the loss of trees. Also, the scouring of the Shire gives a reminder that the loss and damage of wars do not end with the victory parades. I think it's important to note that the sort of dual symbolism and and meaning of the scouring of the Shire, Frodo's had this huge long journey. Uh, He wasn't really even sure about leaving the Shire in the first place. And when he comes back, he's not a hero. And even in both book and movie, he's not a hero. He's not recognized for this great thing that he's done. And on top of that, in the book, you get all this industrialism and and the Shire's been torn down and it is quite tragic. And I think that's Tolkien's intent. It makes sense that people returning home from war, even if their home looks the same, they wouldn't be the same. And so it would, it feels like the Shire is kind of an internalization of, of what they've experienced at war. You know, it affects their home as well. In real life, it might not be that somebody's home is different when they return from war, but they themselves would be different and therefore they view their home differently. Right. And we'll get into a little bit of this with the homes altered, um, especially with the relationship between Bilbo and Frodo and how very different their returns from their respective journeys are. Um, but let's move on from Frodo to, to Luke Skywalker and also Leia. Which would you say is most tragic? I, Having your, your aunt and uncle's home burned down and the loss of your aunt and uncle or your entire planet being destroyed. What I think is tragic is that we don't get more about Leia's reaction to it. It is really brief and you never really get to see her mourn. There's those funny memes that go around where Leia's comforting Luke because his mentor just died, but her planet just exploded and no one's like comforting her. Um, But I I think it also shows Leia's strength and um, we do get more feelings from her in like uh, the Princess Leia comic. But it would be nice if the movie gave us a little bit bit more. Now, Leia's dad and Mott were her adoptive parents. They would have been on the planet, right? Because yeah. we never see them again. Yeah, so there's the comic is all about her trying to find any Alderanians, Alderanians, um, I don't know how to say it, that weren't on the planet and try to preserve some of their culture and customs and things, um, which is a really cool She's idea. Trying to find a home. But yeah, it's it's sad that we don't get more from her character in the movie that... I don't really know anything about Alderaan. But also, if we're not just talking about A New Hope, um, we get the sense that Leia's home has been destroyed again in a more uh, figurative way with, with Kylo Ren, with Ben Solo. And uh, we Not don't... just Ben, but Han, Han as well. Yeah. At some point, they were a happy family, and another somewhere in the middle, they have fallen apart. 
I guess they gave Kylo Ren to Luke to be trained. Kylo Ren went to the dark side. All that stuff went bad. And then they say in Force Awakens that they both went back to what they knew best. So Han Solo went back to smuggling. And Leia went back to being a, a general slash politician slash bad A woman. She has a much more sad backstory than she lets on, which, again, I think shows her strength. Yeah, she's always very stoic. Yeah. She's always tough. She's always confident. And she's a great character. And it makes you wonder in episode nine with her character what's going to happen. And because I, I don't know about you, but my hope is that that home, I mean, Han and Leia. Well, Han is dead. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen to General Leia, but you hope somehow Kylo Ren will find that home again and the home will be... Repaired. Repaired, yeah, repaired in some sense. I don't know. Are you still holding out hope that Kylo Ren's going to return? Oh, yeah. I'm all aboard the uh, Rendemption storyline. They've, <laughs> they've got a name for things. And this one is Rendemption. No, actually, sorry. Bendemption, not Redemption. Right, because wrong. he would be Ben again. Because he would be Ben again. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I apologize to the Bendemptionists out there. You have offended them. I I love those people. I'm part of them. I'm on board with the whole the whole thing. Raylo and Bendemption, bring it on. I'm just excited to see where it all goes. I don't think that I'm I don't sorry, think he'll ahead. I don't think he'll be fully redeemed. I'm also kind of just excited to see what happens. I'm not super on board with any one thing and I Right? I always try not to hypothesize too much because I prefer to be somewhat surprised. What's interesting about Leia and her connection to her home of Alderaan, so her parents were major forces in the forming of the rebellion and they had to do it obviously in secret because they were high society, which I think takes huge amount of courage. Luke was in a very different situation, though, of course, from that. Um, He came from a small farm, and he wanted to get out. He was interested in the fight between the Empire and the Rebellion, although he was going to join join the Imperial Academy. Um, He just wanted to fly, man. He just wanted to get out, and uh, which is is a valid feeling. I'm not saying that uh, it's, it's less valid of a feeling but um yeah he he had that call to adventure and he refused it at first because he was stuck at home his uncle needed him and for one more season on the one hand you see luke's uncle with the whole one more season thing as holding him back you know not or just wanting him there to help serve the farm or whatever the case may be but i feel like he's really worried about where luke might go and and he can't protect him if he's off in the galaxy fighting with the Empire or against the Empire. Uh, I think it's his own way of showing his care for Luke. But then, of course, uh, later his his home is destroyed. It's on fire and his, his aunt and uncle are killed. And it spurs him on his, his journey and, and it moves him forward ultimately. And he finally answers that call, that call to action, that call to the, to the rebellion. I think trying to save your home in some way is a... a mark of a hero story um i know we had talked about both moana and mulan trying to save their homes um from war Mm -hmm. and from the island that's falling apart and so i think luke kind of fits in there not so much that his actual home can be saved but that he wants to fight against what happened to his home to make sure it doesn't happen to anybody else's anybody else's home Mm. type of an idea and again in a parallel between in a parallel to Leia, who, again, in the sequel trilogy, has her home destroyed in a way. Luke, who's built this new Jedi temple with students, he had to have felt a familial connection to them, especially without having children of his own. And that home is destroyed again. And he reacts true. 
very differently compared to the way he reacts in A New Hope, in a sense. And and I'm not saying this as a negative against the writing of his character. I actually love Luke in The Last Jedi, and we've said that before, how much we love Luke in The Last Jedi. But he reacts by running away, running away from the action and refusing the call after that destruction until after Rey leaves him on the island and he finally decides to do something about it. So it's not a permanent refusal. And and I think that's what makes it heroic and human that eventually he decides to to answer the call again. You know, his third home there on the island of... Octo. Octo, thank you is uh, Ray seems to be working kind of hard to destroy it there. You know, she's like slicing rocks and... <laughs> oh, true. Those caretakers are... blasters through the little houses and... <laughs> and Yoda's lightning bolt on the, the Jedi library there. Mm-hmm. I mean, no library should be harmed in the making of any film. And similar to how I mentioned Tolkien and his connection to Frodo is George Lucas and his connection to, to Luke Skywalker. I mean, the name... Lucas, Luke, there's obviously a connection there. And George Lucas always felt this desire for adventure and going out into the big wide world. He didn't want to follow in his father's footsteps um, of the family business. What was the family business? I believe it was stationary. That sounds like the greatest thing ever. Who doesn't want to run a stationary Um, business? It's like my dream. (laughs) I want to have unlimited access to pens and paper for the rest of forever stationary store that's amazing who needs any more adventure than a stationary store Uh, apparently we're boring people but for george lucas when he was 17 he was in a really bad car accident and you can go look up pictures of of the car the car is just so mangled and george was thrown from the car if he had been in the car clearly he would have died Um, But he was thrown from the car and eventually recovered from his injuries. But that car crash, which I'm just imagining this ball of of fire. And anyways, I'm, I'm trying to draw this connection between that car crash and... Luke's own home, home destruction. Yeah. yeah. And George Lucas had an idea for what he wanted to do. And that car crash changed the entire trajectory of what he wanted. And we would not have Star Wars without that. And I just think it's an interesting parallel of, of, of fire and tragedy and, and death or near-death experiences um, that spurred him and spurred Luke on the journey. What are some other characters whose homes are destroyed? Pride Rock from The Lion King. Simba's home gets destroyed when it's under the care of Scar. It happens while he's away. Luke sees Much it. Much like the Shire. Luke sees it in full force, and Leia sees her home planet destroyed. And more recently, um, we witness in Avengers Infinity War, Gamora and her home being taken over and half the people slaughtered on it by Thanos. That movie really is all about her and the destruction of her home and her trying to deal with that and also refusing Thanos as her second home. She definitely refuses to view Thanos as her father figure, even though when she was small, she, he, she probably did for a long time. Yeah. But she eventually comes to see him for who he is and not approve. But alternately, she decides to find more of a home with her sister, Nebula, who Mm -hmm. she didn't like for a long time. So I think she kind of reversed those roles there. I'm still shook up about Gamora in Avengers Infinity War, and I don't know how I feel about it still. Right. I go back and forth. Because all the other characters who died in the little, you know, 
puff of dust, whatever. I'm still holding the out hope. likes to call it cornflakes. Cornflakes. Yeah. There we go. The I'm still holding out hope that most of those characters will be brought back. Right. Something with the time stone or whatever. I don't know. Somehow. And Captain Marvel's going to come save the day. I don't know. But with Gamora, she's gone. Right. But let's move on. We've covered Homes Destroyed. Let's Let's talk about Homes Altered. What do we mean by Homes Altered, Casey? So for this, we're talking about homes that we... You return and they've changed in some way, not so drastically that you may maybe could call it destroyed, but they've been altered or um, transformed. Like with Captain America, he's frozen in ice for 70 years and he comes back to the world and he even comes back to, you know, his home. And I'm sure when he goes back to his home in Brooklyn, it all is very different. Yeah. And he's often haunted by the past and and what was his home and the fact that it doesn't exist anymore for him because it's it's all been changed and some of it i guess you could say is is destroyed in a sense um peggy dies and all the members of his barbershop quartet are dead and (laughs) but especially in in movies like like winter soldier where it's it's really about him being a little bit of a fish out of water and having these old ideals but they're challenged by the modern world some things get better like he says, you know, they used to boil everything. The food's gotten better. <laughs> and he has this awesome list of of trying to learn all the trying to learn all the stuff that he's missed. So yeah, it's not all bad changes necessarily. Um, a lot of it can be good. I love that even though it would have changed drastically, he still considers himself a Brooklyn boy because when he meets Spider Man mm. finally, and he says, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. He says Spider Man's from Queens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. so they have that moment where those areas are still their home. You know, that's where they're born and raised. So there's always that sense of belonging um, with with their homes, even if their homes are changed. And also one aspect of his home that he thinks is destroyed is Bucky. But then he learns that not really. Bucky's just been changed in a way. and uh, He's going to get him back, man. If he can save one thing from his past from his home, it's yeah. going to be Bucky. But and then he does. He gets him back and... Then he gets cornflaked. I think Bucky's the first one. Oh, I don't remember now. I'm pretty sure Bucky is the first that you see. It's interesting to Captain America's character because he is the most loyal mm. of anyone above and beyond. That's like his number one quality is loyalty. And he has that incredibly loyal friendship to Bucky and he fights so hard to win Bucky back to help him in any way that he can. And then he fails Bucky, or at least he would feel like he fails Bucky because he doesn't defeat when, Thanos. When Bucky dies, you mean? Yeah, yeah. by mm-hmm. Bucky being cornflaked. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to his character to see that... His home keeps getting destroyed. His home keeps <laughs> getting destroyed, right. Destroyed, then altered. Destroyed, then altered. Especially in the case of Bucky. And he has such loyalty to his home. Another one I wanted... To, another character I wanted to talk about whose home is altered by Journey's End is Marty McFly. If you remember in the very first Back to the Future... Marty McFly goes through this whole journey, but the one change that happens in the past is that his dad has a little bit more confidence. That results in the future that Marty returns to. His dad has used that confidence to write a book, and he's become a best-selling author. And the future, the or not the future, I guess it's the, the present, uh, Marty's present, has been changed in that his family is rich, and his parents are happy and in love still, and it's like a very 80s fantasy, uh, <laughs> let's get rich. I mean, I guess people feel that way too, but it feels extra 80s because it's 80s rich, the way everything looks, and, and how people would view affluence in the 80s, and I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that ending. 
I've only ever seen the movies once with you, so apparently we need to revisit them. I just felt like the last time I watched the first Back to the Future, I was like, oh, this is kind of sad that uh, it, it was like playing it as his life is great now because his family is rich. I feel like they could have just played up that Marty's dad was confident and that they had a good life, but not necessarily because the they money were rich. involved. Yeah. yeah. But that's a very interesting one and very much set in its time, I feel like. We talked about Frodo returning home to the Shire and it being destroyed. But many years before that, when Bilbo returns from his adventures in The Hobbit, his home is still there, technically. But everybody assumes that he's dead or gone forever because he's been gone so long. And so when he returns back to the Shire, people, his cousins, is that who it is? It's all the Saxville Bagginses. Yeah. (laughs) They've... uh, are taking over his house and they're selling off all of his stuff as he gets there. It's also changed in that the other hobbits don't respect Bilbo anymore. They see him as a troublemaker um, because he likes to tell stories about about dragons and gold. And of course, all the little kids love it, but uh, their parents don't love it so much. Right. He's become different in his travels. He doesn't quite fit in among the hobbits anymore, which makes sense that when he decides to move on with his life, that he goes to live with the elves, somebody who's magical like his past but it is interesting to recognize the the contrast between between frodo's return and bilbo's return the hobbit of course is is more of a children's book and so they're not dealing with what happens after war and although although there is the battle of the five armies in the hobbit it's um it's not a war on the scale that is in lord of the rings and it's it's just a smaller story about helping the dwarves get their home back because the dwarves their home has been um, not destroyed, but taken over by the dragon, and, and Bilbo's helping the dwarves get their home back. Thought of another good home that I would live in. Tom Bombadil's home. Mm, yeah, with Goldberry. Yep. <laughs> That'd be a fun place Lots to of live. music and flowers and Just a beautiful, music and beautiful woodland environment. And sometimes um, for characters, home hasn't changed so much as the character's journey has given them new eyes and they see their home in a different way. Exactly, like with Milo from The Phantom Tollbooth. He's this little kid who's disappointed in everything and nothing's good enough for him. But after his adventures in the lands, uh, called The Lands Beyond, after his adventures there, Milo returns home and he views things with far more gratitude than he did previously. Let's move on to our third section here we want to talk about homes that are refused or in other words places where our our main characters don't feel at home like they rebel against where they grew up type of idea right and they don't want to consider it home or they don't want to return they refuse the return i think the classic though is harry potter where after each year at hogwarts he has to return to this home that does not feel like home and so he's forced back to the Dursleys' home each summer. And even when we first meet him, we first meet Harry Potter, and he's in this little tiny cupboard under the stairs with, like, spider webs. And if he sits up too fast and he hits his head, and you just know he's not in this uncomfortable environment from the first page that we read about him. We realize that his home is not a great place. Hogwarts feels like his home, and... He doesn't want to return because he loves Hogwarts so much, which says a lot about how crappy the Dursley home is because a lot of bad stuff happens at Hogwarts. People tend to be in danger there, but he still (laughs) considers it home. Still better than being at the Dursleys. 
But I also think it's about the people. Really, that is what home is, is is the people that are there. And for Harry, the Dursleys don't feel like family, but Ron and Hermione and, and Ron's family do. Yeah, he definitely finds a home in Hogwarts and the borough. He's even willing to live with Sirius in his awful old home as long as he could be with Sirius and not with the Dursleys. So I think there's a lot to be said with relationships, making a home versus an actual physical home. And Harry's uh, like Leia in in a way. His homes keep getting destroyed. Of course, his first home is destroyed by Voldemort when he kills his parents. Um, And then there's the prospect later of of Sirius taking him in, and Harry loses that as well. And also in Lord of the Rings, we have Eowyn, who I think has a very interesting connection to her home of of Edoras and Rohan. Yeah, she's a a princess of the lands, so to speak, and she is royalty. She should be very comfortable in her home but she doesn't feel like she gets to be who she wants to be she wants to go off to war with the men she wants to fight for her land you know her homeland but she isn't allowed to right and and maybe she doesn't really refuse her home because obviously she's trying to protect it it. yeah um but in a sense she is because she doesn't want to stay there and just watch over the people and and she's being forced to do so and so she has to pretend to be a man to to leave and to she, she craves adventure like anybody else another great female character in recent memory is valkyrie from thor ragnarok I love that her name is valkyrie that she is a valkyrie mm, she's what's what's her name on sakar scrapper scrapper some number something scrapper like that yeah. 22 <laughs> 99 i don't know She's refused her home of Asgard when Thor meets her and then eventually learns that she is one of the Valkyrie. And he's like, hey, you got to come back. We got we to gotta save Asgard. And she completely refuses it. And um, she has too much pain in her past. And um, again, it, it could be because her home was destroyed in a sense of... Right. When she returns home, none of her friends or her fellow Valkyrie would be there. But there's more of a refusal to return. Whereas someone like... Like Luke and Return of the Jedi, although his home was destroyed, he has no qualms like about going back to Tatooine. And although Valkyrie does refuse to return initially, uh, she does accept and and returns in full force. And it's awesome. And you should go watch it. And I want to not that she can save her planet. She really loses it twice when you think about it. Man, there's a lot of tragic characters here that keep losing various iterations of their home. Yep, something to propel them forward in their stories. Finally, can we talk about Kylo Ren? Because I always want to talk about Kylo Ren. It's your crush. Your crush on Kylo Ren grows. Mm-hmm. Santa brought you a picture of Kylo Ren. Yep, it's on my wall. I can see it right now behind your head. So you're not actually looking at me. <laughs> I'm just, just talking to Kylo Ren on the wall. You're just eyeing Kylo Ren up <laughs> I will there. finish what he started. <laughs> I'll let you talk about Kylo Ren. I know you want to. Well, Kylo Ren has refused his home twice also he had and a lot of this is just implied or mentioned briefly but he had a home in in han and leia and maybe han wasn't the best dad and we don't know that much about their home life makes you wonder if he was happy in their home life and but he still had to leave he went off to luke's school to be trained there and then i wonder how much choice he actually had in that so maybe yeah maybe he really didn't refuse that home life so much as he felt it was um kept Taken from him, from him. You know. yeah but he also refused his home life um, with with Luke and the Jedi Temple. and Maybe he felt pushed out there too, though, because Luke did draw a lightsaber on him. I'd run away too. Yeah, he did have the lightsaber on, and, 
And in Kylo Ren's perspective, Luke was turning on him. And um, Kylo Ren's a bit of an enigma, and I don't know that he necessarily fits perfectly in this in this category. But um, that's okay because we can also talk about Ray and how she doesn't really fit in a category. Ray's interesting because she has a sort of home on Jakku. As far as actual physical structures go, living in an old walker, that's pretty cool. Well, and that was the the impetus for this episode was like, oh, Ray lives in a walker. That's a cool home. We should talk about character homes. And of course, right. we, wa- and then we, we were talking about go, physical homes like the yeah. burrow and things, but then we wanted to talk. We always like to go deeper than yes. this, just the surface More philosophical. level. And because there are a lot of awesome on the surface homes and Living in a walker is a really cool idea. It wouldn't actually be cool to live there, but I'm glad they did it in the movie because visually and and conceptually, it's very cool. Yes, so Rey has this home of a walker, and it's on Jakku, and she feels like she has to stay in her home. Like, she needs to be on Jakku because that's where her parents are going to find her. Um, She leaves her home very unwillingly, and she wants to return immediately as soon as she can, all for the sake of finding parents who uh, she eventually comes to decide aren't really out there. Or if they are, they gave her up, and she probably doesn't really want to meet them. So her home story is a a little different. Valerie, do you have any fiction recommendations before we end this episode? I just read... A book you got me for Christmas um, called The Truth About Miss Ashbourne. If you know anything about me, I love Jane Austen and all Regency era things. So if you like Regency romance novels, The Truth About Miss Ashbourne by Joanna Barker was a great read. And I'm going to read it. Your first ever Regency romance. I've never read a Regency romance. And I'm not opposed to them. I like movie versions. I've just never read a book of one before. But I will read this one. It's one of those genres where... You know that the couple's going to end up together. You expect it. So sometimes things can feel a little like they fall into place too easily or whatever. But you either like that or you don't. And I like this And I think that's with most romances. And I don't think there's anything wrong with with having that comfort, you know? Right. I appreciate it because then as I'm concerned all the way through and things are going wrong, I know, well, at least they're going to turn out okay in the end. It's what we try and tell our kids when they get upset with Disney movies. We're always like... It's going to be fine in the end, guys. It'll all work out. I promise. Things are going to be okay. I think there's nothing wrong with um, with romance and and comfortable endings, just as as there's nothing wrong with endings that defy your expectations. I think we need both. So. Absolutely. And one of the things I liked about this book was that she's a little bit of a different Regency character. She's not just out to find a husband type of an mm. idea. She's got her own things that she wants to accomplish and achieve. My fiction recommendation, well, it's not really a fiction, but my recommendation is a wonderful book. It's called Women in the Galaxy. It's by Amy Ratcliffe, and it's a it's a compendium of all the awesome female characters in the Star Wars universe. And what I love about it, well, first of all, the art in it is beautiful. There's multiple artists that have drawn different styles for each of the for each of the characters mentioned in there. And initially, I thought this book was just about these characters and what they do in universe, so their stories, which is is awesome, and I was really looking forward to it. But then, I, as I've been reading it, I found that it's also it also mentions some behind the scenes information about where the character first appeared, or what the voice actor or the or the actor have said about the character, and so it, it's it's great because there's a lot of behind the scenes and in universe information about each of the characters, and there's a lot, and there's the main characters like. Ray and and Leia and Padme and Ahsoka and all the awesome ones, but then there's the more side characters like 
R2KT and Jocasta New and it's great and I love it and I highly recommend it. I'm excited to read that one. We'll have yeah. to book swap. I finished my Christmas book. You need oh, to fin- there you go. You need we'll to finish yours yeah. and then we'll swap. Yeah. And thanks again for joining us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at elsewhere underscore pod or head to our website, hellofromelsewhere.media.